Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Well, Mr. Levingston, we meet again. M.M. Lambert. That's me. That's that's what all the scholars call me. Dr. M.M. Lambert one day. Dr. M.T. Levingston. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, we were just chatting about how I think we've both been blessed they're actually like quiet, like professional sounding, <laughs> like scholarly names. Yeah, yeah. Like you know. M.T. Levingston. Yeah. I'd buy that book. M.M. Yeah. M. Lambert. Oh. Well, Dr. M.M. M. Lambert. Oh. I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah. I don't know what the book's on, but you sold me on the name. Or you could go for the, um, you know, sometimes you get people who their first name's initial and their middle name's. Yeah. Like Dr. M. Michael, Michael Lambert. Lambert. Yeah. Look, I'd, I'd buy that yeah, book. Yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. one day yeah. I if, can dream. If you were to write a scholarly Ooh. like theology book, I mean, essentially, what I'm asking you is, if you had a chance to do a PhD, oh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What would you like want to look at? Okay, so I would do how apocalyptic literature can be used in a pastoral care setting. In a pastoral care setting. Okay. So, Ooh, okay, okay. so for those who don't know, apocalyptic literature is like the books like Revelation, yeah. Ezekiel. Yeah. So how the signs and images of those books could be used as a way to help people, I guess, overcome struggles and difficulties in life by focusing on those images. Hmm. So I see a book like Revelation as like a picture book, like hmm. an ancient picture book in scripture. And so the... The images are meant to like make you think deeply. Particularly, like, say Revelation, it was designed yeah. to be read out loud in one go by a professional orator. So, mm. as you as the audience, yeah, you're imagining dragons chasing after a woman with yeah. stars behind her. You've got beasts coming out of the ocean. It's really quite exciting and dramatic. Oh, and yeah. So, and part of those images there are designed to evoke a response. For those who are persecuted, mm. it was meant to be comfort. Mm. You're going to be conquerors. For yeah. those that weren't living for Jesus, it's meant to be fearful. So mm. that's what I would do. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, yeah, definitely when it comes to like, you know, grieving and death and mm. stuff, I can see how that would... I'm mm. sure you've thought about much more deeply than <laughs> I have in 12 seconds while mm. listening. I reckon, I reckon I'd like to do something on like church splits. That'd be oh, interesting. That- like the psychology and sociology of church mm. splits. I don't really know what it looks like, <laughs> but I reckon there's something there. <laughs> and I'm sure it's been done before, so I'd probably have to oh, find probably. a new angle. Yeah. So we've quoted the um, Babylon Bee before, but mm. there was a great article once. It's like, uh, PhD students still waiting to bring for someone to bring up Babylonian mythology between 530 and 560 AD <laughs> or something. Like, just it needs to get so specific yes, as you start yes. to go. Yeah, like, and that, that was partly why I... Because in early 2020, I kind of had dreams about pursuing service study mm. and sort of like, dipped my toe in and just realised, oh, I don't want to do this. Because mm. even what I suggested, it just was too broad to be used. Mm. And it just kept getting harder and harder. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Mm. Stuff that. Mm. <laughs> if I want to write something like this, I just do it myself. <laughs> or in yeah. church. Like, and- it's... I also think we just live in an age where, like, maybe we have, like, too many scholars. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then I realised, too, I actually don't really enjoy writing. I enjoy reading. 
yeah. and learning. I think that's the difference. Is yeah. And, and like, obviously speaking and teaching people. Well, so. what, what a great segue because <laughs> yes. you are a great teacher. <laughs> and it you. was a great sermon oh, on thank Sunday. You. Thank uh, you. Look at the Gospel of Luke yeah. or the cross in the Gospel mm. of Luke. Um, you did a fantastic job at sort of like leading us on a run up up until this moment of the criminal on the mm. cross. Uh, and it brought like a lot of really fascinating stuff in. Um, and I think that like one big thing for me, which maybe we can come back to later, like the big questions, like, like, what does it actually look like to forgive like everybody? What does it look like to be Christ-like in that? Um, I, th- I think that's a challenge for anybody. That, that is, isn't it? And so I quoted from Mirishlev Wolf mm. is because he's someone that's had to actually, he's lived through horrors and pain had to wrestle with this the, the centenic i think that's how you pronounce it i don't mm. know if i'm butchering that yeah but like yeah basically because he's croatian in the war and just the atrocities he saw um what's interesting about Miroslav wolf is he said before the war he was a theologian didn't believe that god could get angry mm. he even quoted it in one of his books free of charge saying i used to think god's wrath was beneath him that's this petty human emotion and he goes, and I saw the atrocities of the war. And he goes, man, if God's not angry at this. He's not worthy of worship. He yeah. reframed that. And so and he talks that, that idea about forgiveness is not necessarily just saying, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, I've forgiven. We just sort of sweep it under the rug. He's actually acknowledging mm. that evil's been committed, but mm. that as a Christian, we have to follow the model of Jesus mm. and forgive. And so there's element of justice tied into it. You yeah. offer forgiveness. Mm as a way of acknowledging that evils yeah. happened. But you're not going to harbour onto the hatred yeah. and the revenge about that. It's yeah. giving it over to God. Yeah. It's, I think I said before in the podcast about like turning over cheek. In some way, that's a bit eschatological. In time, you're forgiving someone, going, ah, oh, God's going to sort that out one day. It's mine to avenge, saith the Lord. Yeah, and I think like very counterintuitive to our culture of like justice Mm. and yeah i mean like that's a tension right of like believing that um for god's kingdom to come that he wants to see justice Mm. but at the same time where does like forgiveness like Mm. where do forgiveness and justice sort of meet and where do we find that yeah in between like i think that that's that's a challenging question it's, it's interesting like the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, they addressed social injustices, but they don't offer forgiveness. Yeah. It's just their form of justice. You know, look, Harvey Weinstein has sort of started it all. Yeah. Terrible things. It was just yeah. appalling. Yeah. Uh, but then anyone else who does that, it's like, okay, you've done this now. You're like not forgiven. You're just seen as pure evil. And yeah. so there's justice without forgiveness, which is the key yeah. difference with Christianity. It is fascinating. Yeah, because I think, like, you know, to kind of go to the nth degree, Mm. like a Harvey Weinstein, I think pretty much everyone can agree, like, yeah, like, that guy was a monster Mm. and, like, doesn't deserve to continue to live and work in that kind of Mm. industry because he's just done too Mm. much damage. Um, Yeah, but, like, this idea of cancel culture, I suppose. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, where do we find, like, that grace in all of that? So i got Mm. a question for you. What makes you angry? angry actually injustice um yeah i was like god probably a bit emotional i don't know if he's on stage but generally like reading about the atrocities happening in the ukraine makes it angry um almost makes you wish that there was like a superman 
<laughs> which is what which is what Jerry Schusser and I can't remember the other guy who wrote Superman. They were Jewish migrants who wanted justice in life. And then when they first conceived Superman, he didn't fight intergalactical aliens like Brainiac or he fought against like petty criminals, corrupt landlords, because they wanted someone to bring justice in a corrupt society. So, yeah, seeing stuff like that happen, bad government, um, people being ripped off, there's this sense of Mm. anger and you just want something to be done about it. And Mm. so... You ever seen the movie Taken? Uh, I have, yes. Yeah, you know that famous scene where he goes, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know who you are. Yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. I, I will find you, you and I will kill, kill you. you. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. You know, there's a part of us that love that stuff because you see bad people, you're like, yes, that's what they deserve. I want to be killed in yeah. this horrific fashion. And, but it's and it's from a, an anathema to the gospel, what Jesus does. He doesn't call us to take revenge, ask us yeah. to forgive, which, whew, very hard, very easy to say. Very hard to do, which is why I always made the point about the outsiders. We talk about outsiders and insiders, and we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus loved the, the poor. That's what we're called to do, and that sounds... That's like, part of it. It's part of it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But he's talking, like, these outsiders are talking about were people who were just seen as disgraceful. Mm. Um, mm. I didn't mention my list, but um, uh, Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Yeah. And the people of Jericho. <laughs> tax collectors are, like, bottom of the barrel. They were traitors to the... Jewish state sure and here's Jesus having dinner with him yeah it's like what are you doing man I think there's something like particularly about like tax collectors where it was like this continual thing Mm. like it wasn't like they just wronged you once like they kept on coming back and like asserting their sort of authority over Mm. you to take advantage of you to you know take more money than they should have Mm. like you know again it kind of comes to that idea of like turning the cheek you're like well yeah I, I think, like, if somebody does wrong once, mm. again, like, we're like, okay, I can forgive that. But mm. when it's sort of this habitual, um, you know, issue of again and again and again, yeah. I think uh, there's probably an element that seems to lack um, repentance yes. when it's, like, a continual coming back. And yet, like, even then, there's this... Um, even, even ties in, it's not in Luke, but the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, he's forgiven his enormous debt. Sure. And then won't forgive yeah, the, yeah, others, the yeah. other servant of the much smaller debt. And yeah. that's often, I think that's the challenge of forgiveness is from remembering what God has forgiven us. Mm. So we in turn need to forgive others. Oh, look, there's story after story of Christians forgiving just enormous things. Corrie Ten Boone, when she. Do you know Corrie Ten Boone? I know the name. She was. She was um, she wasn't Jewish, but you're Christian, and they helped Jews during the Holocaust in mm. Germany. And so she, because of that, she ended up in a concentration camp. And when she got out, she was speaking in churches on forgiveness. And then after one Sunday night, after the service, a former guard came up and begged her forgiveness. And it was like that kind of, am I going to offer this? And she did. Mm. And so, yeah, these things, they're just not sort of... Mm. philosophical discussions in ivory towers they're mm. real and that's what i love about luke is that jesus mm. is saying father forgive them mm. they don't know what they're doing <laughs> yeah i mean like that's that's the other part right mm. like i suppose for me like if i'm gonna forgive somebody 
I like want them to acknowledge that yeah. they've done wrong. I want them to at least apologize. Mm. I want them to repent. Like I want that moment yes. of the guard at least coming up to me and going like, not that I think that would have been an easy thing to no, do, yeah. but I think it at least like takes it a step closer mm. being able to accept. Mm. And yeah, when people continue to live in almost like ignorant um, sin, mm. ignorant sort of, I don't know, um, betrayal. Well, they just don't care. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's so when like we then come to like the criminal on the cross, you spoke about this idea of like throughout Luke, Mm. we've got these insiders and outsiders. And I think it'd probably be pretty fair to say that from, you know, most people, you know, come to church on a, on a Sunday in a definitely (laughs) post-Christian culture Um, we would definitely be seen as like the religious insiders. We would, yes. Now, um, what, what, do, what does that look like for us to like kind of extend that olive branch, maybe to open up the, the doors to the outsiders? <clears throat> Who are the outsiders of our community today? Yeah, I guess, well, from a if we're going to go biblical perspective, those that don't know Jesus. Yep. And again, it's it's a little cliche, but it's true. It's those that their lifestyles may not match mm. ours and that can be deeply challenging mm. um, yeah, it's Mirishlavov again referring to him he, his book Exclusion and Embrace talks about yeah, embracing those who are different mm. very very hard mm. um, yeah and so I guess that's part of the gospel is recognising that things get messy mm. I look at who Jesus called as disciples and we overlook, but Matthew was a tax collector. Yeah. He was a traitor. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. when he calls Matthew or Levi, he yeah. has a party with them all. <laughs> and the yeah. Pharisees are furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's part of me, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see why they were. Like, sure. This, like, these are the traitors of our nation. And you know, Jesus goes, ah, it's not the you know, healthy, I need a doctor. It's the sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. Mm. And so while it's easy for us to divorce that context we just have to think in our own world who are the people that really roll us up yeah we could go politics if you have a certain view of politics sure. yeah, yeah. and you're encountering someone who fundamentally disagrees with you mm. that's part of the gospel and it's what paul talked about in ephesians about the jews and gentiles breaking down the wall the barrier mm. between jew and gentile it's not this sort of fluffy language these were deep-seated issues or differences and mm. Paul's saying hey don't start your own churches with your own language group and people and just sort of hang out mm. together he's like hey you gotta like you're now a new humanity mm. this is part of the gospel one so, family kind of thing yeah so I guess in practice it would look very messy <laughs> very messy like yeah that's it like uh, I think too oh, I guess I'm a little guilty sometimes we like church to be a bit clean yeah for sure we have kind of our routine and yeah uh, I remember hearing a story about uh, a missionary. I can't remember where he was, but um, they had these new converts, and he said one of them spoke. They spoke like a sailor, like yes. swearing his shit sure. off. And he found that really uncomfortable at first. But he realised, well, this is part of the process. Is yeah. that these for some people there's an instant change. Mm. Others, it's years and years of sanctification. And mm. So yeah, yeah, that's part of having those outsiders becoming insiders. Mm. And, even the disciples themselves. True years. Yeah. Hanging out with Jesus. Still yeah. didn't quite get it. Yeah. Till after his resurrection. And yeah. then when the Holy Spirit came, it's sort of like, ah, oh, now we get it. So yeah. 
Well, you kind of use that expression like spoke, like swore like a sailor kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's like one thing, uh, actually the show The Chosen does really well in just exploring in the first couple of episodes, like, you know, obviously Simon Peter and Andrew, we know were like fishermen mm. and they kind of like go specifically into like what that would have looked like to be a fisherman mm. in like first century sort of Jerusalem. Yeah. And yeah, like there's like, you know, fist fights and like drunkenness and like just this idea mm. that they weren't these sort of white collar yeah. <laughs> sort of shoe wearing, you know, yeah. guys. They were, yeah, really like rough around the edges. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think like that is a challenge and I don't know even just how to, I mean, for me personally, just like at a youth group on a Friday night, like leading youth kids, got like kids who they're really great kids, but they really do just like drop F-bombs all the time. And it's this like tension of being like, hey, guys, like we want to create a space mm. where like everyone is welcome. Right. Like younger kids yeah, are welcome. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and like, how do we sort of. Yeah, navigate that. It's a hard It is hard. challenge. And I don't necessarily have all the answers. I, what I guess I love about oh, Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, I love how that's just the two categories. Yeah, yeah, Tax yeah. collectors and sinners, almost yeah, like yeah, the yeah. tax collectors are so evil. It's like They need their own category. Their own category yeah, yeah, and then yeah. sinners everyone else. Yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not made unholy by them. Yeah, it's and good. There's, um, yeah, um, there's a book I read a couple of years back called, called The Shang-Tang Compound mm. by Langdon Gilkey. He was a theologian. He's been dead for a long time. But um, the Shantang compound is about um, Westerners who were living in China during World War II when mm -hmm. the Japanese came in and basically got put into internment camps. And uh, they weren't treated as poorly as prisoners of the war, but like, it was an internment camp. It wasn't great. Sure. And there was, at that time, there was a number of missionaries in China. And so he had Protestants and Catholics. Mm -hmm. And Gilkey, even by his own admission, he was pretty liberal in terms of his Christianity. Like, he grew up in that world sure. where everyone had Christian values, but he didn't sure. really believe it. And he saw it as sort of almost pointless. But as time went on, he started to realise the necessity of the Christian faith. Hmm. But what he found interesting was he said, ironically, he found the Protestant missionaries the most, I guess, works-based compared to the Catholics. Hmm. He said, the, particularly the American Protestants, they wouldn't smoke, wouldn't drink, wouldn't mm. even associate themselves with those who did it. He said, where well, the Catholic priests, they had no problems hanging out with the guys who were smoking, drinking. And in fact, sure. he said some of them like would smoke with them. Sure. And he said it was, like, you guys, it reminded him of Jesus a lot yeah. more. Yeah. And just that, yeah, it was almost this sense of where the Protestants had this view of we are holy people, we are not corrupted by the world, where sure. the priests are like, well, we're, we're called to be part of the world. Yeah. And so they didn't see themselves as being corrupted by yeah, and I remember that just that chapter really resonated with me. It's like, yeah, I think as Protestants, we ironically, where we go about being saved by grace through faith. Yeah. Sometimes we add things on. We don't want to be polluted by the world. Yeah. And sure, Proverbs says, you know, poor, <laughs> what's it going? Poor friends corrupt character. Yeah, sure. Yeah, butcher yeah, that yeah. proverb, but you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, there's, yeah. But also sense too that, well, Jesus hung out with people and he wasn't. Corrupted, and so that's the tension I guess we live in. Is that, that is a tension? I'm... I think that's a real tension. Yeah, I, and like I suppose, yeah. As I've become more like confident and maybe even like stable in my faith, like that's probably no. It's definitely something mm. that I far like do not struggle with in the way that I used to. But you know, there is like a challenge, like you know, when I was still in high school, to like you know go to a party where like everyone was just getting mm. wasted. And that, like, can be really hard. But mm. I think that, like, on a, 
day-to-day level i mean when i was like working in cafes very like highly like sexualized sort of crass culture of the kitchen and baristas and stuff it is so easy to slip into that and like i think then that's the challenge like when we are with the outsiders Mm. when we are living in the world to not be of of the the world. world yeah but yeah, I think it ultimately comes back to like coming back to the cross, being mm. like renewed again by mm. the spirit. Um, and people do notice when you are set apart. Like yeah. people really do. I found it interesting when I was, I think I've shared in church, like I was wandered away from my faith. Um, is it like as an older teenager, I remember working at the pools, like I was 17, 18. And even when I wasn't really living for Jesus, someone comments, she goes, oh, like, I, I swore one time. She goes, oh, you're a Christian. You're not meant to say that. And I was like, how did you... Like, I actually was genuinely shocked. I was like, how did she know that... Because I wasn't exactly overt in my faith. And so, yeah. even when I really wasn't living for Jesus, obviously there was something there yeah, yeah, that yeah. stood out from... Yeah. And so, that is, I guess, part of the challenge. Yeah. And then when I was living for Jesus and working, all right, there's some really cool opportunities to, like, share Jesus, not to toot my own horn but yeah I remember one time I was working at Sydney Cricket Ground and um, the Roosters I think it was their reserve team or whatever they booked a pool for a recovery session after mm. training and there was a mix up with the booking anyway this guy got really angry about them being there and he was swearing his head off at me and I just said oh I'm so sorry I don't know and the coach he goes man you handled that so well What's the difference? And I was like, oh, Jesus, man. I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus calls us to love and forgive. And he's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And yeah. so yeah. there's these moments where you're just like, oh, you don't know. That's why Peter says to, you know, be prepared in season, out of season. Mm. You just don't know what your actions will do. And mm. so, yeah. So you spoke before about a bit of a classic Jesus sort of uh, statement that the the healthy don't need a doctor but the sick Mm -hmm. uh which is a very forced segue into (laughs) a little bit of like context around like who is luke i feel like some people listening might know a little bit um but yeah who is luke who is he writing Mm. to who is this theophilus uh and and what's going on why why is this important i suppose also for this insider outsider Language. Um, language and theme that Luke yeah. is exploring in his gospel. So as best as we know, Luke is a historian slash doctor right. who was a Gentile, yeah. most likely, but a God-fearing Gentile. So God-fearers were Gentiles who followed Judaism, may or may not have been circumcised, but, yeah, were not born biologically Jewish, but sure. accepted Judaism. And so it seems like Luke was one of those people and, and he's become like, a follower of Jesus yeah. later on. So what Luke does in Luke and Acts, he meant to leave Luke and Acts as part one and part two. It's a shame that we have John. It goes Luke, John, then Acts. It butchers up it the does. Luke, Acts it does, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and so Theophilus is obviously either a Christian wealthy person mm-hmm. or someone who is just interested. And so sure. Luke's taken upon himself. He's not an eyewitness. This is yeah. the big difference with Luke. Is that he's spoken to all these people, got oral sources, probably had the Gospel of Mark in front of him. Some people sure. say he probably was there on his table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's put together his own account for Theophilus. So Theophilus can know what happened with Jesus. Yeah. 
Um, so that's yeah. And then Luke was a travelling companion with the Apostle Paul. When you read through Acts, he sort of jumps into we Paul. It's a bit hard to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he travelled around with Paul and Silas sure. and yeah, all yeah. those guys. So yeah, heavily involved in the early church. Which like two quick nerdy Greek mm. facts. Mm. One, um, like every single verb in Greek has this sort of is it you? Is it me? Is it we? Mm. So like this idea, it's not just like one or two words. Yeah. Like this idea of we and then they yep. is like very. Like it, it's mm-hmm. thick throughout certain passages. It's not just yeah. an inconsequential we or they sometimes. Um, the other thing is like Theophilus just means like Theo, like God, Philus, yeah, yeah, yeah. lover, oh, God like lover, lover of yeah, God. Yeah, so yeah. it could be like maybe some which with that sort of like patronage culture yeah. of people paying, like it, mm-hmm. it's expensive in like, you know, first century to yeah. write this sort of like book or, mm. or letter. So the idea is it would have cost money. Somebody needed yeah. to, you know, be a patron of that. So it probably is like a single person yeah. who was paying Luke or mm. funding him to write this. But also, like, maybe we're all Theophilus. Maybe yeah. we are all lovers of God. It's <laughs> uh, interesting. I, I re- found a commentary which was just called For Theophilus, yeah. Luke. And I was like, actually, it's probably a better title than Luke because really it is for Theophilus. Yeah, whoever that <laughs> is... One or many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It is. Um, but I, I, it's interesting with Luke not being an eyewitness. Like, um, because I think you said Mark is Peter's words. We did talk about Supposedly. that. Supposedly. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's it. I think, yeah, it's a that's, pretty confident yeah. sort of And then Matthew's obviously the same Matthew that was a disciple and John's John. So yeah. in some sense, what's good about Luke is that in one sense, we're all Luke's. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because we're, we weren't eyewitnesses, but we can get the historical data mm. and explore that. And, yeah, it, have you ever read, um, what's it called, More Than Just a Carpenter? I Patrick can't say that. Oh, okay, no. like, so, yeah, he does that. He finds the evidence for, like, why Jesus, you know, died and mm. why Jesus was real and this, that and the other. And so I guess in one sense Luke has done that too. And so mm. you can read Luke's gospel with that different lens of saying, I've got all these sources and mm-hmm. I'm a historian and this is the facts mm. of what happened. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, like, as a Gentile, like a non-Jew, probably writing to other Gentiles, this theme of, like, insider-outsider, I mean, I think it's sometimes easy to forget the... The, the the interconnection of Judaism and Christianity mm. in like the first century and the for a lot of people they weren't even really separate things it was almost just like a another sect. denomination yeah, or a yeah. sect they were like oh the Jews who kind of like follow, follow Jesus. that Jesus guy the way that's what they're called the way sure so like this idea of yeah what is the relevance of a Gentile writing to other Gentiles talking about an insider outsider reversal so I, I guess well I mentioned on Sunday, like Luke opens up with the birth narratives. So sure. Elizabeth, Zachariah, yeah. um, Elizabeth being barren. Throughout the Old Testament, it's a sign that a special child's to come. Obviously, yeah. Mary's birth. What Luke does is he grounds his scripture in the continuation of the Old Testament. And Genesis 12 tells us that the seed of Abraham will be a blessing mm. upon all nations. Mm. And so, and even Luke, he has a genealogy. Yeah. A bit different to Matthew's. Yeah. It's probably what people suggest because it's different. It's probably actually um, Mary's. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. And there's I've found some things in there that Healy, because that, if you look at it, it says, you know, it was thought, it was, it, yeah, I'll start again. 
Luke 3, 23, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. And it says mm. here, the son of Healy, and it goes on. And so they suggest there's this random thing that Healy was short for this certain name, and there's evidence that perhaps that that person was Mary's father. Anyway, point is, it's probably Mary's genealogy. But he yeah. goes right back to the the son of Adam, mm. the son of God. Yeah. So for the, the Jews, they saw themselves like Abraham as being a new Adam. Mm -hmm. They were now the new humanity. Mm -hmm. And the Old Testament, actually, there's a bit of tension sometimes with who is a Jew. Mm. So, in fact, if you look at the book of Joshua, you've got Rahab. Mm -hmm. She's not a Jew. No. She's Israelite. Yeah. She's Canaanite. But yeah. she's grafted on. Yeah. And then you've got um, Ruth. Ruth as well. Yeah, Moabite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, uh, what, what's this... Um, had a mind blank what he's called after after Rahab and Jericho falls there's um, Achan Achan sure, 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 he's yeah. from the tribe of Judah and he gets killed Haram style pretty brutal sure. but that's what the Canaanite was meant to happen to Canaanite so there's this sense of like an Israelite even Paul talks about what is a Jew you know it's one who follows the law yeah, right. so it, even throughout the Old Testament there's hints that yeah that biological descent from Abraham is not what makes you an Israelite mm. it's following God and so Luke is doing it. he's showing us that Gentiles are part of this that the seed of Abraham is being a blessing mm. on everyone and that yeah and then, yeah because I had some of those pairs there I'm, obviously with the parable of the good Samaritan yeah Jesus is very deliberate it's a Samaritan who's yeah. the one that um who's <clears throat> blessed the, the the there's another parable parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector yeah it's pretty it's pretty deliberate language there it's sure. the the tax collector who is the one that's truly repentant there was the lepers and it's the grateful one nine nine of the jewish ones yep. don't come back to jesus samaritan so there's so hints are these outsiders yeah who are not part of israel and being actually, welcomed in yeah who are actually more righteous in that sense mm. so i guess that's what luke is tapping into all these themes mm. is that jesus is open for everyone jew or gentile yeah. come in and be part of the new humanity yeah, yeah, yeah. through the second Adam or the last Adam as the Apostle Paul says yeah it, like it is a really um, so it's something I get frustrated about sometimes um, when I see the sort of judgmental nature of Christians mm. because like ultimately like we see who is like Jesus critiquing who was Jesus yeah. judging like the religious people yeah and who was he kind of welcoming in who was he creating mm. um yeah I don't know you could disagree with this but like in some ways almost like extending more grace mm. to the people who didn't yet know and yep. expecting more of the people who should have already yeah. known you know yeah. I think like there's there's unlimited grace for everybody mm. but as far as the expectations that Jesus yeah. has on people it's like well hold on like you guys the Pharisees yeah, the Sadducees the Jews like you guys should know this already like where it's the people who are outside mm. of the fold the outsiders who yeah maybe he shows a little bit uh, more leniency yes. to in these moments like well hold on like you haven't fully heard the good mm. news and I sometimes wonder like yeah maybe we need to be more considerate of when we're judging when we're being holding people accountable mm. it's like well hold on who are those people who we're meant yeah. to and who are the people who we actually are supposed mm. to have more leniency and love mm. for it's yeah, a good challenge a good, that is a really good challenge it's hard look I think yeah, I just often think, like, why would the Pharisees do what they do? But I realise that, well, in one sense, 
we can all be Pharisees in our own form yeah or another and yeah I certainly grew up in a church which <laughs> you could call Pharisaic in many ways they had sure. very strict here's what you do not really based in scripture but more based in some sort of denominational tradition yeah and a theological framework which they think is the way to read the Bible and it's like well that's just a framework which has been artificially placed on there not necessarily what the text itself mm. says so yeah I think we are all in danger of it because I, what what's difficult about Christianity is that I guess in one sense the ease we can find salvation now I say that lightly but when I used to do a bit of Islamic outreach I remember the They'd ask me, like, oh, do you have to pray certain mm. times a day? I'm like, mm. oh, no. Yeah. Or, do you have to fast? I'm like, oh, we can, but we don't have to. Yeah. And they'd be left quite bam- bamboozled. They'd go, sure. so how do you get saved? I'm like, oh, we believe that <clears throat> Jesus died on the cross and his blood that was shed for us gives us forgiveness of sins. And they're like, oh. And one guy's like, so you don't have to do anything? I was like, no. He goes, oh. Like, they just seem really... Yeah. And so, in one sense, having works actually... Which is why Paul says, hey, you know, we're not by works so lest we boast. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. But works makes it easier. It's like, here's what you need to do. If you do this, this is ticks the boxes off. And so totally. that black and white living is very simple where yeah. the gospel flips the narrative, flips that around. It's not mm. you have to work your way to the mountain to get to God. Yeah. God's come down the mountain yeah. and you can... Let's use the analogy. The gate is open. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Walk yeah. through. And yeah. that can be really hard for some people to, because you just want a religion which just says, for here's sure. what you do. A, B, C, then you're in. <clears throat> totally. And that's something we can fall into that danger of being Pharisaic quite easily. Mm. It's having rules and stuff. It helps us live life. And so that's been a challenge I've wrestled with sometimes too. It's like, mm. oh, yeah, like Jesus has forgiven me. I don't have to... Yeah, well, I remember mentioning John Wesley in prayer. I don't have to go before I am pray. It's yeah. not actually commanded in Scripture. Yeah. It's a great spiritual discipline, but yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. lose my salvation if I don't do that. Yeah. It's, so it's, again, this other tension of having grace with... Yeah. And I suppose, too, if you're saved, there's an outworking fruit from yeah. that. So. The more, like, I kind of, you know, meditate on these points of Christianity which seem in some ways maybe a contradiction to one another. Mm. I realise that they're not actually um, like chinks in the armour mm. of Christianity, but like it's almost the contradiction seemingly on the surface that like define what Christianity is. Mm. It's these moments it's like, yeah, like God was, oh sorry, Jesus was fully man, but mm. fully God. Or like, yeah, we are completely saved by grace, but you know, there should be fruit, mm. right? Like there mm. should be good works that yeah. come out of it. Um, like there's all these like tensions and I think like again this kind of idea of forgiveness and grace Mm. and and all these things really are the the concrete of Mm. Christianity when you get down to it so you said something interesting which is opening the gate Uh, yeah 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 Uh, which which I I, we're kind of talking about previously you were um, on Sunday for those of you who didn't see preaching uh, no cross on the stage at the moment (laughs) Um, but this this arbor, which was made for t- two members in our congregation, Josh and Gabby, who got married recently and they had this beautiful arbor with flowers on it. And this now wooden arbor is sort of standing on stage and you're preaching and you're talking about paradise and this idea of Jesus opened up a gate to paradise. Mm. And I was like, oh, 
That's kind of uh, standing there. That was obviously planned. I know. Oh, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I um, move around the stage. I have like these spots deliberately yeah. planned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you got some little electrical yeah, tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit my mark. No, for sure. Like any good actor, you know. Uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, so I suppose the question is opening the gate to paradise. Mm. You know, yeah. we don't we don't really. Uh, talk about this idea. I mean, we don't even really talk about what heaven will actually look yeah. like a lot. But what does this mean? What is what is paradise? What is heaven? How do these mm. two things, yeah, you know, connect? Mm. Uh, what does this mean when Jesus says to the criminal on the cross, "Surely I tell you, today yeah. you will be with me in paradise." Yeah. So paradise, uh, it was the paradiso. The Greek word meant. It was used in the Greek translation of the Bible to mean Eden. Mm. And that's how, like, any time you read Eden, it was paradiso. Sure. And so it came to mean the abode of the righteous. So, mm. like, another way to describe heaven. And so in the, what we call the intertestinal period, okay. between the Old and the New Testament, yep. this sort of idea started to germinate of these sort of two locations where people can go. Sure. Um, if... The Old Testament doesn't say a whole lot about like people coming back to life. Like everyone yeah. just goes to Sheol, the place of the dead. Sure. And then these views started to shift. I don't really know what caused that. I have to research that in depth. Mm. But this kind of idea, Hades, like hell, yeah. and heaven slash paradise, where yeah. the righteous go. And there's a book called the Book of Enoch, and it sort of spoke about that. Yeah. Um, Which is like an old, old Jewish book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. part of scripture. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but Jesus, even that kind of riffing off Enoch at some point. So, but I, I guess the point is, is at that moment on the cross, is that when Jesus says, Tell you going to be in paradise, are you going to be up there with in God's space with me? Mm. And so we, yeah, heaven's not really described very well in the mm. Bible. We get snippets, mm. say like Ezekiel sees God's throne chariot and sure. there's these weird sort of angelic creatures yeah, on which it. Which nothing like Michael A's yeah. or Sistine Chapel. Well, you know, Isaiah sees the holy, 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 the yeah. seraphim and he yeah, his glory and, and even the book of Revelation, you got these kind of kings that are there mm-hmm. around the throne mm-hmm. and they're bowing before Jesus and yeah. you got saints under this altar and it's sort of hard to know, is this what heaven's like or is this just like a symbolic way of talking about the kind of picture book imagery yeah. of heaven, but well, it comes back to what you were talking about almost mm. at the beginning mm. about this apocalyptic yeah, language yeah. and what does this symbolism so, all mean? But uh, I suppose the point is if you take that paradise image, it's obviously like a garden and that's what Eden was. It sure. was this place of serenity, of peace, of where God's presence is. And mm. so regardless of how heaven looks and there's all these books out there about I've died and gone to heaven and yeah, yeah, yeah. every single person will tell you something a bit different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I find interesting the Apostle Paul, he talks about going up to the third heaven. Ooh. Yeah, which just is a way of saying going to like, I mean, heaven itself. Yeah. Um, and he's not allowed to talk about it. So I find that interesting that mm. Paul had this vision of going up mm. to, to heaven, God's space, and not being allowed to talk about it. But mm. yeah, I, I suppose for the criminal, that's where his spirit goes. Mm. And so there's this sort of misconception around heaven and the kingdom of God. Yeah. And we kind of think that, oh, we're going to die and go to heaven. Mm. That's true, but also not true. Because mm. we're not... To be human, we have our nepesh, our life breath. Mm-hmm. So I remember a few weeks ago we talked about dirt people. We're people of the dirt, yeah, our yeah, dharma. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be human is to be alive like we are now sure. in this physical form with yeah. our spirit in us. So sort of... The Greeks, I've you know, divided 
mind, body, spirit. Yeah. So the, the Old Testament's just one, yeah, one one creature with your life breath in it. And so, heaven's where we go when we die. Like Jesus, Jesus died. Yeah. But then he's resurrected, and so that that so that in one sense, when the criminal is asking Jesus, "Remember me at the resurrection," mm. he's saying, "Hey, don't leave me in Sheol." It's like, well, you're not going to be left in Sheol, mm. but you're going to be in paradise. And then, by that extension, the assumption is, and you'll also be resurrected one day too. Mm. So, and so that's the point of the end of Revelation is that Jesus comes, to, the New Jerusalem comes down from mm. heaven, and mm. then earth's restored mm. so there's this yeah because Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven and so people kind of think oh heaven up there sure but it's actually this here on earth yeah like Jesus does what Adam was supposed to do spread out Eden well yeah. Jesus will make Eden spread out yeah over this whole earth well it's so, a fascinating thing that like I was just in my research for Matthew looking at like as a Jew writing to Jews yeah. maybe like didn't want to use the word god yeah, either well, probably. so yeah. like kingdom of heaven was sort of synonymous yeah. with kingdom of yeah. god and then suddenly you're like well kingdom of god yeah. can be on earth well, like it's this yeah, fascinating yeah. well even matthew it's interesting with matthew when jesus dies matthew talks about the saints coming back to life yeah really which odd. i just didn't touch on oh, at all super <laughs> odd. but that was part of the new age and so it's implying that jesus has bought the kingdom and yeah it I guess N.T. Wright talks about signs, that the healings, the casting out demons, there's signposts pointing us to what the kingdom will look like. Mm. Um, we'll talk about this at Easter a bit, but yeah, a lot of Christians say, oh, I can't wait and die to be in heaven. <laughs> but then you look at the Gospels, Jesus resurrects so mm. many people. And even the early church, people are resurrected. Sure. And it really made me reflect upon that, well, if living here on this earth was so terrible, why did Jesus resurrect people? Why did mm. Jesus bother resurrecting Lazarus? Mm. It's like, ah, oh, this place, it shows us that we're meant to live here mm. on this earth, as mm. sin-infested as it is. This is mm. where our abode is meant to be, which is why Jesus, he gets upset when mm. Lazarus cries, even though he knows he's going to resurrect him. It's this amazing insight into just Jesus' mm. humanity. And, and I think, too, why Jesus is so upset in the garden, because there's this sense that he's dying. It's unnatural. Mm. Death's not supposed to be part of his world. Sure. So, and Paul talks about death is the final enemy. So, mm. yeah, so that's that paradise. And uh, look how it looks. I'm not really sure. Mm. It doesn't say, but I know it'll be much <laughs> being with God's a lot better than yeah. not being with God. And Apostle Paul says to live is Christ, yeah. to die is gain. So. I've got a theory. Yes. <laughs> I reckon that God, in his infinite wisdom, maybe doesn't fully make it clear what it's going to be like mm. because I feel like it's almost the best way to not be present in the moment right now mm. and addressing, you know, bringing God's kingdom now if we mm. sort of have this real clear... Like, if we start focusing too much on the future, we're going yeah. to, like, lose our sight on the present. Yeah. That's a theory. <laughs> and look, the possible gets stuck into the... The Thessalonians about that they just sort of stopped working because they like, just be, yeah they navel gaze and just ah, whatever of, it's, yeah and so yeah it's again it's this I guess tension and scripture has so this bit of tension it's like yeah look I guess we're gonna die and that's sort of yeah part of life but then we come back one day and so yeah. we're kind of striving for all these things which you know are just gonna fade away but mm. it's still important to work and to 
eight yeah. <laughs> to raise families. It's yeah. All yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of God's plan. Very cool. Very mm. cool. Well, Mitch, mm. we're on to our Easter services. Yeah, yeah. Got a big week. Got a tenebrae yeah, on yeah. Thursday night. Got a Good Friday. Got an Easter Sunday. Um, yeah, what, what's what's in store for us? Right, what's coming up? John. All right. So, the yeah. final of yeah. the four Gospels. The, the cross slash the resurrection in cool. John. Yeah. Um, so briefly talk. Because you kind of need to understand John's perspective of the crucifixion of Jesus and how it relates to his resurrection and mm. so lots of genesis imagery mm. john really showing how jesus is the new creation and the resurrection around that is yeah it's in a garden jesus called a gardener mm-hmm. <laughs> there's these allusions that yeah jesus is the new adam even though language isn't used there it's sure. implied so, yeah, yeah yeah very cool yeah very good cool. we're well, looking I'm forward excited. to it we we'll look forward to seeing everyone yep. for our easter services get along it should be a absolute blast and yeah. uh I'll see you same place, same time next week. Thanks. (laughs) See you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.